Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, it's decided now we need to be doing this this plan to have the uh, hole-in-one challenge, the Winged Wheel Podcast hole-in-one challenge. So if you work at or own a golf simulator in and around Detroit or Grand Rapids or anywhere between, actually, uh, let us know because we might have to to book some overnight stays this summer because we now have three pro hockey players <laughs> in the Red Wings organization who are committed to trying this out with us. It's going to go very poorly or very, very well. It would... Wouldn't it be brutal if it was done in like the first hour? <laughs> <laughs> a fundraiser and then yeah. all of a sudden our first shot. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I don't know what to do for the next 20 hours. We'll uh, we'll have some some qualifiers in there. We'll get some sponsors who will commit to like $100,000 if we get it within the first 100 shots or something. Hey, can you imagine? Oh, my God. Yeah, so we'll, we'll raise some good money for this, but we need the venue first. So if you're... If you're a proprietor of a golf simulation outfit, reach out to us. Let us know. Funny the things that we fall into. That and, and some other fun business stuff that you'll get into once you hear this COSA interview, which, hey, long time coming. That was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it was really good. Finally, we got COSA's time and he could come on the podcast. We had a great chat. What a guy. Yeah. So we're excited for you guys to hear that. But for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey the world of the NHL and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, as you just heard, you are going to hear our conversation with Detroit Red Wings prospect and Grand Rapids Griffins goalie, Sebastian Cosa. We talked to him about everything from his time in the CHL to the ECHL and now playing pro hockey in the AHL. We got his opinion on Trey Augustine, what that does to motivate him, you know, his sights on playing for the Red Wings in the future, conversations with Draper and and Iserman and uh, his goalie coach down in Grand Rapids and lots, lots more. It was a really great conversation. Uh, so you'll tune into that. And then on the other side of it, we'll be talking about mostly just a bunch of NHL or NHL adjacent news. Uh, there's potentially a, a CHL NCAA agreement coming that could change the landscape of, of NHL prospects. Uh, the Winter Classic is coming, and stop me if you've heard this one before, but the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be playing in it. I'm shocked. <laughs> in the most predictable news of all time, uh, there have actually been you know, movement on the Coyotes' front. There have been some pieces moving around there, so the Coyotes aren't looking too good right now. Well, I think the more apt way of putting it is there haven't been pieces moving, which is why we're having the conversation. <laughs> yeah. They needed to be moving pieces around that sliding puzzle and they just haven't. So nothing's definitive, but we'll get into that. Uh, more updates from the Hockey Canada charges that were laid against five players, four of them being uh, current NHLers and implications for uh, those teams and other NHL players. Uh, the streak in Edmonton ends one shy of the record and the PWHL is coming to Detroit. All of that and lots more. But first, I want to let you know about Saturday, March 2nd. That's Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. That is a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast at Little Caesars Arena before the game. So they are playing the Florida Panthers that day. And when you get tickets, you get not only access to the Red Wings-Panthers game, you also get access to the pregame live recording of the podcast, which is going to feature us, the hosts, as well as Ken Daniels, lead announcer of the Detroit Red Wings, and other special guests. 
It also will get you a special uh, limited edition co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast cap. It is a different colorway than the previous ones handed out, and the only way to get it is by getting these tickets. The first 400 tickets get the special co-branded cap. Uh, you get the tickets from the link in the description or go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings. Uh, other aspects of the tickets, they feature a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold. Additionally, when you go to the Red Wings game, you're going to be sitting in special Winged Wheel Podcast seating sections. There's going to be people up in the gondola where Ken and Mick call the game from, also in Upper and Lower Bowl as well. There's going to be food and drinks available and lots more. So again, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description. Sebastian Kosa is a... He's an interesting guy, and I think whenever you can crack the mind of a goalie and see what's in there and see his approach, it's always really, really fascinating. You never know what you're going to get with goalies. I know when we talked to Chris Osgood at the live event a while back, that was Aussie off-air and Aussie on-air, both great personalities, but Aussie on-air is like a spectacle to behold, and you don't really get it until the record button is pressed. Yeah, until the record button is pressed and the quarter has been inserted into the yeah. machine. He just goes and goes, and we had a great conversation with Sebastian Kosa as well. A little bit more reserved, I'd say, than Chris Osgood once, once the mic hits he's uh, a, or the recording button starts. But yeah, very interesting guy. Very, He's like a consummate professional. Not that you were surprised by that, but usually when they're in the AHL, they're a little bit more... I don't know, they, they like to let loose, have fun a little bit more, but Kos is uh, he's a really, really put together, and he already has the NHL interview sound to it. Yes, him. he does. Yeah. yeah, he's got that figured out. Anyhow, we'll let you get into it and hear for yourself. Fantastic interview. Uh, tune into our conversation with Sebastian Kosa. A long time coming for the first time on the Winged Wheel podcast. Please welcome a pro AHL goaltender and Detroit Red Wings prospect, Sebastian Kosa. Uh, Sebastian, and I think your biggest claim... Uh, to fame on this podcast is you were the first real advertiser for Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Grand Rapids Griffins yeah. rocking that hat. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's, uh, that's a good hat. And a lot of the boys have asked me for it too. <laughs> they're hard to come by. Even we wanted some extra ones and the Griffs were like, sorry, they're all spoken for. So I'm currently yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm currently in the procurement process for uh, for Carter. He wouldn't let us leave the interview yesterday until he, he made us promise to get him one. So that's made funny. him jealous. That's funny. Yeah, there's a couple. There's definitely a couple guys I want one. I uh, I've gotten offered offered fifty bucks for it and, and have to de- have to turn it down. <laughs> wow, so. what are we doing? We should be the ones. No, they're hot. These hats. They're yeah, hot. They're, they're hot. Yeah. They're. <laughs> oh man, there's more money in the secondary podcast market than there is for podcasts. That's unreal. <laughs> Sebastian, we just uh, we just had Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Griffins. Obviously, as you know, uh, off of a crazy weekend that saw. Uh, Simon Edvinson throwing hands, as we all expected. Jontan Berggren celebrating harder than I've ever seen him in my life, and uh, the Flying Toasters jersey. Uh, what was that weekend like from a, a player's experience? Yeah, it was crazy. Obviously, uh, you know, the first game there with who's coming down. Um, you know, I was up in the stands, but no, it was, it was a fun game to watch, and, and you know, fun to watch him do his thing. Um, you know, obviously, a guy comes down for a game and and, and throws a shutout. It's uh, it's pretty impressive, and, and especially you know him pl- not playing for so long before that too. So, um, you know, cool for that. And then and yeah, the flying toasters that was uh, that was strange for sure. Um, you know, they were they were cool jerseys and stuff. Um, but obviously, um, you know, that was a that was a back and forth game. You know, we were up three nothing, down four three, come back to win it. Um, yeah, you know, Simon, Simon finds a good guy to get his first fight in with, uh, you know, makes him look pretty tough. So that's good for him. And, 
um you know yeah Bergie Bergie's been hot recently and um you know he's he's been doing a good job getting under guys skin too so uh you know other teams are, are kind of going after him a bit too so um you know yeah the the teams have been hot recently and I uh, just continue to, to roll now you've only known Jonathan Berger in a, a short time and from a fan perspective we don't really ever see that sort of edginess getting under players' skin. Has he always been like that, or is this something new uh, that we're starting to learn about him? Um, I mean, he he throws a chirp around here and there. Um, you know, definitely definitely not a, a fighter by any means, but um, you know, definitely definitely he can chirp, and um, you know, I think yeah, that gets under team skin. Did we notice? Like when that scrum was happening, it was after the empty net goal. Obviously, the the Senators player was hanging around center ice to throw that cross check, and uh, Evan actually turned to me. He was like, "Ah, uh, Sebastian looks ready. Like, were you ready to jump into that fray?" I don't know. There was obviously, uh, you know, we just scored the empty net. I went up to the bench to get, um, you know, just some high fives by the by the boys, and um, you know, that whole whole scrum breaks out. Um, their goalie hot back on the ice. So I was kind of. You know, paying attention to him, obviously, where he was, um, just making sure that there's no guys on our team kind of getting two-on-one. Um, you know, if that's the case, you know, maybe go grab a guy. But, um, you know, I was just, just kind of hanging out. Didn't, didn't, didn't really know if I was a lot of the fight right there. Very good diplomatic answer. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll give you a break. Let's jump out to uh, – this is going back a while now. Let's start with the, the first start of the Red Wings story. Uh, obviously, where you were picked in the NHL draft, I think uh, a lot of folks saw you – uh, and your other goalie counterpart in that first round is the two uh, prospective goalies to go in the first. And it came out after that uh, Chris Draper and the Red Wings really, really enjoyed their conversations with you. Walk us through what it was like in your uh, pre-draft interviews. And, and did you have a sense that it was going to be the Red Wings moving up to grab you? Um, honestly, I, I had no idea. Um, you know, when they when they moved up, I, I had no clue. Um, I got family close to to Detroit there in uh, in Sarnia, in London. So, um, actually, my cousin was at the draft with me. Um, that was during COVID, so we weren't actually at the draft. And um, you know, when the wings moved up, he kind of said something, and, and you know, funny how it actually worked out. But um, no, yeah, that that whole year was crazy. Uh, the COVID year, um, obviously, all the interviews online and, and and doing it by Zoom, which was uh, which was pretty crazy. And um, obviously, not meeting people face to face was definitely different. Um, so yeah, I had a had a couple uh, meetings with them the, the week leading up to the draft, and and um, you know, I thought I had good interviews with them. You know, just talking uh, talking about my game, and, and you know, me uh, me off the ice, and, and just them trying to get to know me and. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Lucky that they they took me there, and um, you know, it's been been a really good, uh, really good journey, and, and you know, a lot of experiences uh, since then. Did you get any sort of inclination from the the Zoom interviews, like, oh, maybe so and so teams also interested in me? Did you get any sort of vibe on where you might get picked or who who might have picked you? Um, I feel like you maybe you maybe take it down to you know ten ten teams. Um, you know 10 maybe 15 teams obviously you know there's there's a lot of things that can happen you know if if guys fall and and you know teams you know obviously have them ahead of you you know there's there's so much that can happen so you know just you know go in there with an open mind and um you know just excited you know wherever you go obviously you know it's a really exciting day and um you know the whole family there with me um you know it was a great experience obviously Jesper Wallstedt was taken after you uh is there any sense of pride that you were the first goalie picked? And uh, do you even pay attention to to how Wallstead or any of your counterparts are doing after being drafted, or does that not factor in? Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool. Obviously, you know, being the first goalie off the board, um, you know, that's something you know I, 
I never really even dreamed about as a kid. So, um, you know, it was really cool that that happened. And, um, you know, obviously just kind of being around the league now and, you know, obviously Wall said, you know, he's, he's in our division. So yeah, keeping up with Iowa and, um, you know, just kind of seeing, seeing how those other guys are playing, you know, uh, Askarov's there in, in Milwaukee and stuff like that. So, you know, definitely, definitely the guys in our league, I'm, I'm definitely paying attention to. So I want to throw it way back because when I was looking at some of your stats growing up, you were born in Hamilton, but you played in Fort McMurray and Fort Saskatchewan. Those for those who don't know, those places are in the middle of nowhere, Canada. How do you go from Hamilton to there? Yeah, so born in Hamilton. Uh, we lived in Stony Creek at the time. Um, so lived there, uh, moved to Oakville shortly after, lived there for a couple of years. And then pretty early on, when I was about four or five, we moved up to Fort Murray. Um, there's only, that's that's really in the boonies up there. You know, the closest city is Edmonton, which is, you know, five hours away. So um you know the the highest level of hockey they had up there was double a um you know and going into my bantam draft year in, in the western league it's uh second year bantam that you get drafted into the western league so um you know that was my you know 13 14 year old year and uh you know we decided that uh that i was going to go billet and force saskatchewan there so that was about four and a half four and a half hours away sorry um so yeah yeah billeted at, at 13 and um, you know, I was living away, living away from home at an early age and then luckily got drafted to, to Edmonton. So that was, that was nice being the, the closest city to, to home. So my parents were able to come down quite a bit, which was nice. Yeah. You moved basically from Fort Saskatchewan to the bright lights of Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, walk us through your time with the Oil Kings. You had three um, unreal seasons with them. Fantastic team. Uh, the, the numbers you had were on like phenomenal the support in front of you was phenomenal uh and and what's whl hockey like if you could tell the listeners because it's obviously unique especially uh, as it pertains to the chl mm-hmm. yeah yeah sure still go yeah the western league uh you know it's it's you know it's a top level of junior um you know from from 16 to 20 year olds you know that's that's the highest level of hockey there in the chl and um you know the western league is is uh you know particular you know just for for kind of the grit there out west, uh, you know, definitely the travel is is a lot worse than you know the Ontario League and, and even Quebec. Um, you know, some teams farthest, you know, Portland to Brandon's, you know, probably maybe what sixteen to eighteen hours in a bus, so that's pretty far. Um, so yeah, it's definitely definitely a grind out there, and you know, you get used to the pro schedule, which is which is really nice. And, and yeah, luckily in Edmonton, you know, all three years we had really championship contenders. Um, you know, my first year was a seventeen year old year, and um, you know, COVID ended it early. Um, you know, my 18 year old year was COVID year. So we only played interdivision teams. You know, I think we went 19 and two, um, just, you know, an all-star team. And, and, you know, that final year when we were finally able to play playoffs, we went, we went and won the league there. Um, you know, we really, really loaded up at, uh, at trade deadline, got Caden Gooley, who's with the Canadians now. Um, you know, so we had Luke Prokop, we had Jake neighbors, Dylan Gunther, you know, countless guys, Justin sort of, um, you know, so many guys on that team. So that was, uh, those years were really fun and, um, you know, playing with those guys and, you know, seeing where they are now, uh, really cool connections and, and, uh, you know, yeah, that, that time was really fun in my life. So that developmental season, I think it was your second year in, uh, the WHL, they basically played like 19 games and then that was it. No playoffs, no nothing that they just wrapped it up. Yeah, yeah. So there's 22 games. Uh, I think the season started in January, February. You know, it just kept getting pushed back. So, 
Um, you know, I think quite a bit of guys in Ontario had went over to, to Europe and, and, you know, playing tier, tier two or tier three, uh, pro leagues over there just to, you know, play. Um, so, you know, I, I stuck it out there and, uh, back at home and, um, you know, luckily enough, we were able to play 22 games. You know, I know the Ontario league didn't play any that year. And, uh, I think Quebec did play quite a bit. I think they might even had a playoff. So, um, you know, they got lucky out there, but, um, you know, yeah, yeah, we only played 22 games. Yeah, that whole season was basically a write-off for anybody who stayed in the OHL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Brutal for those guys. Wanted to ask about your Memorial Cup experience. Obviously, you guys won um, the Western Hockey League, moved on to the Memorial Cup, probably didn't play out the way you guys had anticipated. Um, But what was that experience like? I know a lot of guys never even get the chance to compete for the Memorial Cup. Um, Just wondering what some of your takeaways from that were. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough tournament. Obviously, um, you know that was uh, you know especially after a long kind of grueling playoffs. You know, you win the league, and you know usually that's where it is. That's where it's done, and you know you enjoy it with the guys there. So, you know, kind of winning the league and then turning around, uh, you know, two three days later, and, and you know going all the way out east and, and playing some teams. That, you know, obviously the the host team there hadn't played in a month and a half, and then the other two teams, uh, the other two playoffs. You know, it's it's definitely different. You know, across the entire CHL with you know, the travel and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we went in and really beat up and, um, obviously, you know, the results didn't go our way, but, um, you know, best first, best tournament. And, you know, it's a, it's really fun to, to go there and compete with those guys. And, and, uh, yeah, obviously the results didn't go our way, but uh, it was a fun tournament overall. You see a lot of the host teams have some success. Is it because they get a month off if they're out of the playoffs early? What's your feeling on, on those host teams? Yeah, yeah. I mean, both both of those. Obviously, you know, the every team that that's hosting the Memorial Cup, there they always do load up, and um, you know, luckily for St. John, you know, they had a really good team, but you know, just couldn't get couldn't get through. I think either round one or two of playoffs, and yeah, um, you know, they had a coaching change. I know, so I see different systems, um, and you know, they're preparing for for you know the teams that were that were still playing in the other leagues, and obviously they had the time off. Um, you know, that's. It helps and not, um, you know, obviously they had rest, not playing for a month and a half, but they, they definitely came in fresh. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that go that way. And, um, you know, they were, they were the best team there and, and they won it. So, um, you know, it's definitely, definitely tough tournament there, single elimination games like that. Before we get into the transition to your uh, pro career, hopping over to Toledo, something I like to ask any prospect that comes on the show um, is, is whether or not you think you're draft assessment was fair so agree or disagree sebastian Kosa at the time of draft was a uh, extremely talented athletic goalie who uh, needed refinement to his game in terms of uh, uh, fundamentals or, or keeping positioning but otherwise has a really really high ceiling yeah i would agree all right, cool. We weren't. Uh, we've messed up a few. I think Carter fed it to us whenever we uh, we told him. <laughs> his... yeah, you can't get anything past that guy. No, <laughs> he lets Aze us have Valeria? it. That's... Yeah, he is every single time. I remember the first time we interviewed him. We're like, "Oh, what are your thoughts on the the Tyler Bertuzzi comparisons?" And he's like, "I don't really care for them." He's like, "I want to be Carter Mazer, not Tyler Bertuzzi." I was like, "Okay, yeah, we'll ba- yeah. back this one up that's here." Fair. That's fair. That's funny though. Yeah, that's that's funny for Maze. He's he's a pretty soft spoken guy. Um, yeah, inside the dressing room, but no, that's funny. He's giving it to you. Yeah, he's a good dude. 
Um, so Toledo, uh, what were your thoughts when you kind of knew that the ECHL is your next step? You know, Steve Eisenman was telling everyone that uh, they want to get you somewhere where you can get a lot of reps. Did you know this would be a possibility? And, and how did that land with you? And um, you kind of knew that would be your, your landing spot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously that the whole whole beginning of last year was was pretty crazy. Um, you know, it's still still eligible to go back to junior. So um, you know, my entire goal is to come to camp and, and earn a pro spot. And, um, you know, I came to camp, played good enough to to earn that pro spot. And obviously, uh, you know, they had two good goalies there in, in GR last year with the UC and uh, you know Victor Bradstrom. So um, yeah, I decided to to go back down to Toledo and um, you know play a lot of games there, which which I did, and um, you know had a lot of success down there. Um, you know, the really great group of guys there, um, and that league, uh, you know, it definitely doesn't get the credit it deserves. You know, you definitely see a lot more this year. Uh, you know, a lot of younger guys down there this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of AHL contracts, and you know, I think some teams even have a couple of NHL contracts down there. So you're definitely seeing it being used more. Um, you know, it's a pro league for a reason. You know, the top guys there, the, you know, lines one and two can, can play in the AHL. Um, so, you know, especially as a goal, you, you see a lot of uh, a lot of chances and, and stuff like that. It's pretty chaotic at times. So, um, you know, overall for me, it was good development for me. So speaking of your development, you know, you go in, you're the so-and-so rookie on that team. You start to take more and more time at the net. You know, I think you and uh, Lethman ended up splitting a lot of the time. You know, what sort of growth did you experience uh, in your first season there in Toledo? Yeah, um, yeah, right at the beginning of the year, is, um, you know, Leth had, had uh, um, he was out for, for a little while at the beginning of the year with an injury. So he came and he came about probably a month or two in and then, yeah, definitely we split. But, you know, that, that, that league is a grind. Um, you know, every game is basically, you know, in a, in a three and three or a four and five, which, you know, is crazy, especially, you know, with the travel. Um, you know, I think we probably had six four and fives last year and probably three of them ended in wheeling on the Sunday at probably a five o'clock game. So we'd get in at, at literally two or three in the morning and then have to play at five o'clock that night on the end of a four and five. So, you know, the stuff those guys go through, you know, just tip the caps to those guys, you know, they're playing on, uh, you know, being pretty tired and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, so some of those games and stuff like that, you know, you just got to really bear, bear down and, um, you know, it's a mental challenge, um, but, you know, it's good because, you know, as you continue and, you know, it's pro hockey, um, no excuses. So you got to learn how to, how to deal with those games. You played under Dan Watson last year, and obviously you both came into the Griffins the same time this year. Uh, we asked actually Dan about that on our live show uh, and wanted to ask you the same question. Has that had any kind of advantage for you? Uh, uh, was it uh, good for your transition to, to be doing that at the same time as a head coach? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have a good, good relationship with Wadi and, um, you know, just the kind of comfortability that he brings along. Um, you know, I, I kind of know how he likes to run his team and, um, you know, stuff like that. I think that the comfortability and, you know, he knows what he has in me and, um, you know, I, I know what I'm going to get from him. So, um, you know, just that relationship has, has been good for me for sure. So you come into your first season in Grand Rapids, um, you know, what sort of goals did you set for yourself? What were sort of the messages you were getting from the team in terms of, you know, what their expectations were from you? Just maybe kind of give us a high level of uh, what the start of the season looked like. Yeah, I think both both myself and, and you know, obviously the organization, you know, just wanted to see me come at league and, and uh, you know, show that I can, can play here and, um, you know, show that you know, I, can, I can play meaningful hockey here and, you know, um, have success individually and, and as an entire team. So, um, you know, I thought I've done a good job of that, um, you know, and, and coming into the league and, and 
show that I, that I deserve to be here. And, um, you know, I think just continuing now to, to develop and, you know, up my game and, and, you know, just get better from here. What are some of the biggest differences from a goalie's perspective from going, you know, junior hockey, East Coast League, AHL? Obviously, the shooters are better, but just wondering if there's anything else that maybe you see that the the average knuckle dragger like us wouldn't notice. Yeah, just, you know, how, how smart guys are. Um, you know, they, they're, they're getting paid to play here. Um, you know, if it goes from, you know, their body position in front of them that, um, you know, guys get paid to, to win face-offs and, you know, be good at screening the goalie's eyes and, and, you know, tipping pucks in front of that. You know, they get paid for that stuff. So, um, you know, there are guys like that. And, um, you know, I think just snapping it on, the, you know, their tape, tape passes, their execution, you know, when they, when they get a shot, you know, they're, they're bearing down and, and putting it where they want to put it. So, um, you know, it's definitely stuff like that. Obviously, like you said, you know, they're older, their shots are better, you know, they're bigger, they're faster. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely, definitely a lot between the years and, um, you know, how they think the game. Dan Watson was telling us about uh, Rupert Koistinen and other than uh, telling us how they really linger on his name where they're announcing the coaching staff, I think it's because it's a fun one. Uh, what's he been like as a goalie coach for you and, and uh, how has he helped your development? Yeah, really good. Um, you know, I met Rope this summer, um, you know, a couple of days after he got hired, he came over, came to Detroit there and, and, you know, I was seeing him there. Um, and then, yeah, I think just continuing as the season's got on, um, you know, our relationship has continued to build and, um, you know, I feel comfortable going to him and, you know, talking to him about any situation now. And, um, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of talk and, um, obviously, you know, Michael Hutchinson there, you know, the three of us work really well as, as, you know, uh, as a tan, as a tan, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, just kind of bouncing ideas off each other and, um, you know, continuing to, to, you know, up our, up our games and, and, you know, learning off each other. Um, you know, all three of us learn, learn stuff every day. So, um, you know, I think it's been a, a really good group so far. Now that the, the Griffins are about halfway through the season, anything you're looking to work on yourself, um, any personal goals you've got to, uh, close out the season? Uh, I think just honestly winning hockey now, um, you know, when we get to this part time of the year, you know, it's, uh, you know, points mean, mean a little bit more even. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of starting to, to pay attention more to the standings now. And, um, obviously our, our goal is to, to get into playoffs and, um, you know, it starts, you know, game one, but, um, you know, I've seen now is uh, the time to really turn it up. So, you know, I think the, the guys have been doing a really good job of that. And, um, you know, for us, I think, us goalies, I think, you know, just continuing to, to you know, battle in that and, you know, give our team the best chance to win every single night. That's, uh, that's the most important thing for us right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, we asked Carter this question, but obviously from a goalie, the perspective is always different. You know, we always like to know who's the guy you're, you're seeing every day who maybe isn't getting talked about enough, isn't getting the recognition. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I think. Marco, Marco Ammo, you know, those guys are, those guys are obviously, uh, you know, easy, easy to point out, but, you know, they're, they're definitely, I think, you know, obviously getting their recognition that they deserve and, you know, they put the, the, a lot of work in, so they deserve it. But, um, you know, I think guy, a guy like, you know, Albert Johansson, um, you know, he sticks out to me. Wallander, you know, those two guys on D have been, have been solid, you know, rock solid. Um, you know, Tool Miso, since, you know, he's been back from injury, he's been really good so far, too. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, the kind of as a goal, you know, the, the defensemen are our best friends back there. So, you know, those three kind of stick out to me for sure. Who's the biggest pain in the ass to play with in practice? Who's the, the best at screens or tipping pucks? Uh, biggest pain in the ass or the best at screening and tipping pucks? Two questions. <laughs> no, but that's two different questions. Yeah, let's go with the pain in the ass. 
Marco. Marco for sure. Um, he's he's walking in a little close. Uh, you know, make a save. Puck goes through rebound. You know, he's chasing it and, and coming and put it back in your net. So he's he's that kind of guy. Um, but uh, you know, best screens, space guy. You know, obviously Elmer. I think you know he's he's massive. Um, you know, I can usually look over guys, but he's he's one I got to look around and. Um, you know, he's, he's got a really good stick too. He can get a, he can get a stick on a lot of pucks. So, um, he's up there. Uh, Joel Esperance is really good in front of the net. Um, I think those two guys are probably, probably the hardest for, for a goalie in front of the net with the screens and tips there. And more on the, uh, the guys in the room who's, uh, when we were in there talking to Edmondson after the fight, you know, Bergeron was dancing around, chanting Rocky and stuff, which is hilarious. But uh, it's a lot of personality in that room. Who brings the uh, Who brings the tunes? Who has the best music taste in there? Uh, Rafi plays music. Uh, who's got the best music? Uh, <laughs> oh, those are two different answers. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, personally. Um, and that's when he's not uh, driving between Detroit and Grand Rapids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah he's put a lot of miles on the car. For you sure. think he'd have a lot of time to find find uh, finally tune his playlist? But apparently yeah, not. no, it's good. It's good. It's good. He plays good music. Just the best, best overall. You know, I think personally, I I got good music. Uh, okay, you know, of course, Carter Carter Mazer likes likes the kind of music I listen to too. So you know, I think us two uh, us two are up there. Uh, but yeah, Raph Raph plays good music too for the boys. All right, we got to get you to have uh, to create a um, Sebastian Costa Carter Mazer crossover playlist on Spotify. Playlist we'll put it up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we might. We might have to. Perfect. For uh, a hat. For a hat, we will. For a hat, you want another? Oh, so yeah. You're, you're creating the black market. Basically. <laughs> yeah. I'll sell it. I'll sell it. All right. It, and then that's good. We'll make the playlist for you guys. I, I think we're getting worked over in this economy, but you know what? We'll take the deal. <laughs> With the uh, the Red Wings uh, to bring it back here. Um, how much contact do you have with them over the course of the season? Obviously, the the goalie dynamic is a little bit different in terms of timelines, but are they still in constant communication with you in terms of your development, what they're looking for, that kind of thing? Last year, a lot was uh, with Phyllis Air. Um, you know, he was in practice almost every single day uh, down there in Toledo, and, and now it's it's been a lot with Ropeik. Um, you know, just a lot every every day. Obviously, Ropeik's there. You know, we're going over video together, we're skating together. So this year, it's definitely. Definitely uh, switch mostly to Rope and um, obviously, you know, seeing the Wings Brass, uh, you know, seeing Steve and, and Cleary and, um, you know, Draper, you know, those guys come down to, to GR pretty often, come watch our games. You know, you see them around the rink, but uh, most of my most of my goalie stuff, you know, is, is with Rope. In terms of Red Wings prospects, uh, we just saw Trey Augustine put on a pretty good clinic for the States uh, in the World Juniors, which uh, for you might have been tough to watch as a Canadian because that was uh, not the best tournament for for Team Canada. But uh, when you're in the the Red Wings prospect sphere, like obviously the forwards are all competing for the same spots, the defensemen are competing for the same spots. Do you have uh, like Trey Augustine on your mind as you're you're working on your own game? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, he's there. Um, you know, he's, he's having a really great year. Um, you know, saw at Def Camp last year for the first time, you know, he's, he's a really good goalie. Um, you know, then, you know, stuff that he's doing, you know, in college this year. And then, you know, obviously you see him in world juniors, you know, he's, he's definitely there and, you know, he's coming. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's good. It's good. Healthy competition is always good. Um, you know, someone, someone behind you or, you know, someone, someone right there with you, you know, pushing you every day. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have. All right, a little bit of a fun one. We, uh, we've had Alex Nadelkovich a couple of times on this show when he was still in the Red Wings organization. Uh, that guy loves to shoot for the net, man. He loves yeah, he to does. score goals. 
Are you the same? Do you are, are you pining to to put it in when you can, or are you a little bit more risk averse? Uh, it depends. I think uh, I don't know. I just got to have the right moment. Um, you know, I can. I'm a good. Uh, you know, I can make good breakouts and stuff like that. But I don't know if I can keep it in the air for that long. So I, I'm, I'm going to need new, uh, a good moment to to go for it. Um, you know, if I ever do get it, it's gonna it's gonna be good. I'll have a, I'll have a good Sally for it probably. Last one I got here, you know, what, what kind of things do you do in the off season? You know, do you stay in Grand Rapids? Do you go work out with guys in Detroit? Do you head back to Alberta? What, uh, what do you typically like to do? Yeah, the past, past two summers, um, you know, depending on kind of, you know, how the team finishes the year, um, obviously playoffs have a big implication to it, you know, how much time you have off. Um, so, you know, go home, go home back to Alberta, um, either, either to my girlfriend's house or, or, uh, or my house in Fort Murray there and, um, you know, spend either two to two to four weeks there and then and come back to Detroit for, for at least two months, uh, training there, uh, in little Caesars there with, uh, with the guys and, and the staff there. Um, you know, it, it's been really great there in the summer so far. So, uh, probably going to continue doing that. We, uh, we moonlight as a golf podcast. Gotta ask, are you a golf guy? I am. I'm not very good though. <laughs> oh well you're talk ryan isn't either so you got a guy there <laughs> yeah, yeah i can i can hit it but not straight so we were uh talking to both luff and uh carter about this uh you saw that simulate like the jersey jerry hole in one challenge thing that uh, uh that they did on the simulator i think it was like how many thousands of shots was it I think it was like 2600 shots he hit before he finally got a hole in one yeah the part three one yeah 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 i think i saw that yeah we're thinking of doing a fundraiser uh, this summer, and we we already conned Luff and uh, and Mazer into coming out. So if oh, you're yeah. around, you should come yeah. do it. Yeah, time. yeah, I'd come out. Yeah, I'd come out. Those two are those two are good too. I mean, those guys would definitely would definitely yeah, shorten I'd, it up. So if those guys are going, I'll just I'll just sit down and watch them watch them well, balls. I'll need you out there then because I'm I'm actually god awful, so I can't be the only <laughs> terrible golfer in the room. All right, all right. I, I think. I think the barstool guy did it in like 2,600 shots. You, How long did that take? Oh, f- forever. He, he yeah. had the entire internet watching him. I think he had a physiotherapist working on him to yeah. keep his body together. Like just to, Yeah, your back would be in shambles. Absolute grind. Yeah. Um, Luff thinks he could probably do it in under. I don't know. I can't remember what Carter said. So, you know, there, those are some lofty goals right there. I'm going over for whatever they said. Both whatever they said, I'm taking the over. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, we'll absolutely set that up. In the meantime, uh, have a great rest of your season, Sebastian. I uh, can't wait Thanks. to chat again. Thanks for taking the time, man. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. And we'll get those hats out to you. You'll receive payment in, in due course. <laughs> Sounds good. And welcome back. That was our conversation with Sebastian Cosa. We are going to need to figure out these hats. Like they, they have a whole black market of hats running down in Grand Rapids. And <laughs> we need to find a way to get our cut, man. I know. It's crazy. The demand has uh, exceeded expectations. I was not prepared for this at all. So for those of you who DM us saying, you know, we really wanted a hat. We're disappointed we couldn't get one. Is there any way you could help us out? Trust me, I would. But as of right now, the cartel exists in the Griffin's locker room. And we have no arm in there. So... You're going to have to find a way to get leverage over COSA or Mazer. Okay, let's jump into some relevant news for the, the NHL, and that's by way of the Canadian Hockey League and the NCAA. So the Canadian Hockey League, as a refresher, encompasses three leagues, the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. 
and the NCAA is obviously college hockey in, in the States. There's been a wrinkle between the two, and they've really been butting heads in terms of their control over top hockey prospects as long as they've been you know, competing on that front. And that is, if you play a single second of a single CHL game across any of those three leagues, you are then not eligible to play NCAA hockey. So even if you know you you go past being drafted and you don't go right to the NHL, you're not allowed to play a single second of NCAA hockey. And and so if you're kind of floating between the CHL and the NHL and you don't fit in either, and for Red Wings fans that'll sound familiar because that's what happened with Michael Rasmussen, too good to go back to the CHL and really the NHL wasn't for him. You have to wait until you have eligibility to play in the AHL. So the whole thing was kind of messy, and now we are getting into a space. It was reported by Elliot Friedman and some other folks that the NCAA could be voting on allowing CHL players to play in the NCAA. So how does that affect the landscape of prospects? It would be huge, and there's so many stipulations that would have to be worked out. When can a player go? Does it matter? If they play one year, two years, four years in the CHL, is there going to be age limits on when they can go over? Because the CHL, I got to imagine, wins and loses if this goes through because you get a prospect, you know, like a Macklin Celebrini who wants to go to the NCAA. So he goes and plays in the USHL for a couple of years. Well, only one year. He got an underager. Uh, he got advanced his high school diploma so he could get into college quicker but there's been many other players in that same scenario where now they could just go play in the CHL near their hometown play in a better league because the CHL is still a step above the USHL and then the CHL gets one or two years out of a player they never would have seen on the other hand there are going to be players who are going to go play two years in the CHL and then jump ship possibly for the NCAA for schooling reasons for professional reasons for maybe things didn't go well in their first couple of years in the CHL. And now the talent pool of 18 and 19 year olds, which the CHL, that is who they rely on could be watered down because they're losing some players they might not have otherwise. So it could, it probably forces the league to go a bit younger just by way of the dynamics. I don't see a downside here for the NCAA, they're just getting more talent one way or another, whether that's, again, a player who's, you know, right after their draft year in a Michael Rasmussen situation who goes plays the NCAA that otherwise never would have. Yeah. Or they get a lot of, let's say, four or five year CHLers, overagers who are like, well, I don't want to go play U sports. I'd rather go to the NCAA and play hockey there because the American college hockey system is better than the Canadian one. So instead of going the U sports route, they go play four years until they're 24, 25 years old in the States, which then creates a dynamic of less roster spots available in the NCAA because you have more advanced players coming through, which ups the quality of hockey. But now your fringy guys are getting screwed, which nobody's going to cry for because the NCAA wants the best possible product they can put on the ice. And this would allow them to do it. I'm curious to see what angle the CHL is going to take on this because I think if they do come up with a deal here, they're the ones who probably lose more than they win. Yeah, major, like junior A hockey in those kinds of leagues. You think of the AJHL and the BCHL, which have their own drama going on right now. 
they're going to suffer quite a bit. But they also, the offshoot of that is they might get those fringy guys who grew up in the States, would have had maybe NCAA spots. They might now go north of the border and play in those leagues. They're going to they're gonna suffer. But the way I see it for the CHL is in a perfect world for them, the NCAA doesn't have the strength that it has. But that's that's not been the case for decades. Like the NCAA is a reality. It's a fantastic route for for players like the that kind of stepping stone just makes too much sense and they're seeing the writing on the wall that if they don't get ahead of this and figure out how to at least control part of the process and make sure that they're able to be informed or inform on the rules around it, they're just going to get left behind and they're going to lose way more than Macklin Celebrini down the road. So to me it's it's just getting ahead of what would have been an issue regardless. So the CHL kind of has to go down this route. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it, it will benefit the players. And it'll be interesting to see how in practice this actually works out because there'll be lots of avenues now and how sort of players sort of game plan their development path. It'll be interesting to see how that all works out. I think the devil will be in the details on this one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be a lengthy amount of clauses and what what ifs and and whatnot written into that. Billable hours are going to win once again. Yep, yeah, <laughs> once again, billable hours. So, it, you know what? I think for the players who have NHL aspirations, it's it's an excellent sort of additional route that they can take to to make that step. Part of this as well as the NCAA now has their new NIL rules, which stands for Name Image Likeness which means they can essentially be compensated for the use of their likeness. Before in the NCAA, it was, you know, if you were gifted a pizza and you were a Heisman Trophy winner, you could technically be stripped of that trophy. Like, it was just stupid. So that now they can make some money off of how the NCAA really does profit on their image. You mean exploit them? Exploit it. Now it's better. So uh, I think that's going to be a factor in this. I do want to say, I don't think you're going to see the kind of money that's thrown at football in the States, for example, or basketball even, but it is still going to be an incentive for players who, if you're a top level player and you're going to one of the top hockey schools in America and you're like, yeah, I can make some money off this too. It's not unattractive for sure. And really, as you've both said, Brad and Evan, like it's, this is just good for the NHL period because now you have another option. Not everyone's going to go this route. Not all of your prospects drafted out of North America are going to dip between the CHL and the NCAA and then the AHL. Like, But it's good to have those options in cases where your really important prospects are frozen out of being able to play at a high enough level because it just doesn't exist. And we've seen time and time again, if you throw someone way too high up in the NHL too early – you can destroy them. If you have someone down way too low where they're not being challenged for too long through you know, really important formative years, you can destroy them as a prospect. So it, there's going to be people who are hurt from this. There's going to be leagues who are going to suffer and some might wither away and some might have to change their business approach or their on-ice product. But at the end of the day, it's all about the big dogs and that's the NHL, that's the CHL, that's the NCAA. And, and this is just, I think this is just accepting reality. Anyways, we'll see what happens. The NCAA coaches first have to vote on it. If it's going to take place, I think the earliest that has been suggested would be 2025, but that would depend on the NCAA, you know, making these changes quick and then the agreements being made quick and for a bureaucracy that's the NCAA and then Canadian hockey institutions asking them to move quickly and 
figure out, you know, those devils in the details, I'm not inspired that that's going to happen very fast. Yeah, I'm, uh, 2025 seems quick when you sort of think about all the process that could possibly be involved and how much, how many different groups will have, want to comb through these types of agreements. Man, two most profitable, you know, non-player sectors to have a career in hockey, lawyers and podcast hat, uh, salesmen, black market salesmen. Yeah. All right, so we'll see where that one goes. Uh, it was interesting, though. Okay, the Winter Classic. Surprise, surprise, the NHL wants Connor Bedard on the big stage, and they want him to play in the next Winter Classic. They're going to send it back to Wrigley Field, which I think was, you know, that was a fantastic Winter Classic in the past. We all know Detroit played Chicago there. Beautiful-looking game, you know, great rivalry, etc. Chicago only played in roughly a 1,000 more Winter Classics after that, and outdoor games, whatnot. No one was surprised that the NHL went back to them for the next Winter Classic at Wrigley. That's annoying, though it may be. The fact that Connor Bedard is starting out there and and he's the new face of the league other than you know McDavid and whoever else, that wasn't a shocker. To me, I was surprised, though, that they're going to be playing St. Louis. That felt weird, right? Yeah, there was an opportunity to have a bigger rivalry game there. Honestly, Detroit might have made the most sense because of you know, it could be the sequel to a game that already happened. I suppose they don't want Chicago to lose twice at Wrigley Field, and <laughs> St. Louis might be a winnable game, so fine, I understand that. No, but it being Chicago makes sense. Should be Bedard. I get it. This isn't the Winter Classic to, you know, bitch and moan about. It's the last 12 that we should be. <laughs> St. Louis, though, is such an odd choice. Now, in the early 90s, for the generation that's old enough to remember, Chicago-St. Louis did have a really underrated rivalry. Like there were some, They did, yeah. There were some battles between them. So it's not the worst choice in the world because I'm just running through the rest of the central division right now, and there aren't many better choices, actually. So this, uh, this might be the one outside of a Detroit or a Toronto or getting that like original six vibe in there. My only thing is St. Louis isn't exactly on the upturn. To put it lightly, I think maybe they're better than people expected them to be this year, but uh, like they're not, they don't have a lot of up and coming excitement around them. They're, they're kind of on the, the downswing in terms of their, their team trajectory. I know they would like to think otherwise, but yeah, in my biased opinion, Detroit would have made a lot of sense. Like they have been pleasantly surprised by Detroit's pull in markets in national TV markets, in, you know, fan engagement and excitement. Again, I know this isn't football, but you look at how the city of Detroit kind of came alive when the Lions got good. Like Detroit is a sports city through and through. And so with Detroit being a better team now, they're also on the up and up. Why not? The only thing I can think of is they want to save Detroit for the big house. And it would feel, you could never have repeat winter classics over and over. That would just be unheard of. But if they want Detroit back at the big house soon, because that's 100,000 people, that's a lot. That is a massive, massive spectacle. So that could be a thing. And I also could just be naive here and they never really seriously considered Detroit because, you know, it's the NHL. Okay, moving on here. Uh, Let's get into updates on the Hockey Canada charges and those players implicated. Again, five players, four of them being current NHLers, There have been uh, some 
pieces that have been kind of developed in terms of how this affects the teams. First of all, it looks like there will be cap relief to the NHL teams affected, which is the New Jersey Devils, the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Calgary Flames. It's important to note that all the players affected are currently on expiring contracts. So it's not like this is going to extend out years and years and years, but these teams are going to receive uh, cap relief based on the cap hits of the players. So Dubé has uh, $2.3 million on the cap this year. Carter Hart has a shade under $4 million. Uh, McLeod and Foot have... Uh, McLeod has $1.4 million and Foot is on an $800,000 deal. So the teams are going to see some cap relief. I know that was a question before. And it's inspired a little bit of debate on whether or not this is appropriate. You know, trying to be sensitive to the topic here, I think it's still fair to have the conversation of what is fair. And I think there were varying degrees of, you know, levels of knowledge, I should say, that the teams had in this process. And also when you have a legal matter like this, a lot of the times I think their hands were tied in what they could and couldn't do and could and couldn't say. So I might be wrong in saying this, but I think this is the appropriate route to go albeit maybe unseemly or or a little bit uncomfortable for some folks. But to me, this also would encourage teams to do the right thing if they found out about something after they had signed a player, for example. So it's it's a delicate situation, but this one kind of made sense to me. Yeah, there's no way to know in detail what and when the teams had any information on the goings-on, we'll call it, for lack of a better term. But this was a non-NHL event, a non-Philadelphia Flyers, New Jersey Devils, Calgary Flames event. This was before these guys even really played for these organizations, and the organizations themselves probably shouldn't be punished for something they had nothing to do with, is how I look at it from a bare-bones perspective. So... Are they maybe lying about when and what they knew? Maybe, maybe not. We genuinely don't know. When legal gets involved, every assumption we have can go right out the window because we'll never know. So, yeah, the the plain part of it for me is they had nothing to do with it, so they shouldn't be punished for it. It's, again, an uncomfortable topic. But, yeah, in terms of uh, what the legal standards are, I, I think that's just the route the NHL had to take, so... And more on this, the updates from Hockey Canada are that all the players from that 2018 World Junior team, uh, that Canadian team, are still not eligible for international play. So people are going to look at players like Kale McCarr and say, what happens to him? I'm going to imagine that unless, by the time that comes around, they'll have completed whatever investigations they need to to know who they are implicating and who they aren't. By 2026, I just can't imagine a world where they're not going to make Kale McCarr eligible. Uh, Also for the Four Nations tournament that's happening the year prior in 2025, that is an NHL-sanctioned event, so that doesn't apply on on this front. All right, that is the Hockey Canada update. Let's get into the Arizona Coyotes. does seem like the end of the line here. This feels bleak, even by Arizona standards. There was essentially an agenda that came out this morning for some Arizona you know, municipality or regional uh, meeting wherein 
the agenda item for the sale or the bidding on a plot of land that Arizona is looking to bid on, the Coyotes are looking to bid on in the north of Phoenix, it would have to have been on there by 11 a.m. Eastern and it wasn't there. Now, unless something miraculous happens last second, it just looks like this is, they're out of options now that are going to give them any kind of foreseeable solution in a time frame where the NHL feels comfortable with it. And that's a generous way of putting it because the NHL has given more runway and more leeway to the Coyotes organization than I think I've ever seen any organization or any person get, you know, the grace of, of patience in my life. I've talked to a few folks about this. I had my eyes on that agenda this morning, looked, didn't see it there. They could still do things to get an arena, but at this point, it's it's all up in the air. They're exposed to external bidders. They're exposed to uh, complications with remediation of land, floodplain insurance, actually putting shovels in the ground. Like This isn't a short timeline. This could be it. I feel awful for every Coyotes fan in Arizona, but this better be it. This is, again, what are we even doing here? This is going on years of this clown show. And I know Gary Bettman, the masterful lawyer that he is, never comes out and says anything, you know, derogatory publicly because he knows the legal ramifications, but he also knows relationships. There's a scenario here where the uh, NHL has to buy the Arizona Coyotes. The league itself might have to take over ownership uh, to, I assume, then sell it to the next guy. And Bettman doesn't want to piss off Alex Murillo in the process, who, by all accounts, has been a terrible owner of this team. I think everybody was so quick to forget the uh, article The Athletic put out about just how awful these owners were to their staff and their vendors and anybody they had dealings with and all the workplace complaints, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and... They were dragging their feet. They weren't able to find a solution. Some of it their own fault. Some of it absolutely not their fault. But you have a professional sports team that literally can't get an arena. The most fundamental part of playing a professional sport is you have to have somewhere to play. And they've been dragging their feet on this forever. And again, we talk about how Batman won't ever come out and flame the situation publicly wisely. He won't do that. But that Salt Lake announcement wasn't nothing. That was absolutely approved by Bettman. And that was his shot across the bow. Oh, it was pressure. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, we're about done here. And this is your final warning. That's what that release was from Bettman's standpoint. The NHLPA is now coming out, absolutely lambasting them. So, you know, the players aren't happy. It's an all around shit show. And I know it sounds overly simplistic, but the easiest solution's right there. You have an, a stable owner of a stable NBA franchise who wants an NHL team, who's expressed interest in an NHL team, who says, I have a solution for a re- an arena right now. We can start this next season. And then we're going to, oh, by the way, I have a solution for an even bigger, better arena already in the works. So... Sometimes the situation and a solution seems too obvious, but this feels like one of those situations to me. I, again, want to reiterate how awful I'm going to feel for the Coyotes fans, but they can't go watch a team if they have nowhere to go watch it. The real complications here come from the business side, which is that the NHL, and we talked about this last episode, I think the NHL wants to be charging an arm and a leg for expansion fees. 
And they would have loved if Arizona could work because then you like Salt Lake City, Utah would have been an automatic. Yes, we'll pay the billion, billion and a half, two billion for an expansion fee. Now, if the NHL either forces a sale, which comes with its own complications, what are the Coyotes worth right now as an organization? Nothing like they come with no arena. They come with a bunch of baggage. They don't come with a, a fan base and season ticket holders that you can move over like that. You're not going to be able to sell that franchise for what you should be able to sell an NHL franchise for. And if they don't force a sale or the league acquires the team first, then what do you do on that front? How much can you actually sell for? What if Morello sues? Like, I don't want to get into what he could and couldn't do because I'm not a lawyer, but at the same, I'd be a lot richer and I'd have a lot more Griffin's winged wheel podcast hats. But the, the lawsuit and the potential for litigation has been discussed quite a bit. So they're forfeiting, the league is forfeiting a lot of money. And if you're saying, oh, well, too bad for the league, stuff like that is why the salary cap doesn't go up. Revenue sharing is a thing in the NHL. And, you know, the major markets are propping up the Coyotes. The more the Coyotes leave on the table in terms of what they could be sold for, the less that goes back to the overall pot and the less that goes to the the salary cap going up. It all kind of plays in and no matter what, the NHL has to find the balance between cutting its losses and just getting out and trying to find the most maximum value for a sports franchise, which is a really hard, they're in limited supply. And the craziest thing of all this is the Arizona Coyotes ownership group doesn't seem like they have their act together to stay in Arizona. Like no. if they're not getting the Tempe deal done or they're not getting on this municipal agenda to talk about buying land like are they doing their homework at all or are they just going to try and cram it through the submission drawer as it's closing like i don't understand what their plan is with this team like someone might respond to that and say of course they're working on it but at the same time well look at the money that better look at the money they didn't shell out in the tempe vote like there was a massive discrepancy in the vote against them versus the vote, the the campaign money they put to approve the vote. They got outspent. I, I can't remember the actual ratio, so forgive me if I get this wrong, but it was like a lot, like five to one, eight to one, something like that. Like you want to own a billion dollar sports franchise and you want to tie it into sports gambling in Arizona and you want to profit off of all of that. That's great. You got to put the money and the effort in. And I, I know this is going to sound like incredibly anti-coyotes and you just want them out of there. No, I feel for the fans there. Yeah, it sucks sucks and they this is an ownership group that you know from how they treat the team as brad referred to earlier to how they treat the fan base and and what they come through with like i'm not saying this kind of stuff is easy and that us three you know meatheads could go in and just solve it in a week but why can 31 other franchises figure it out why can the mls figure it out so easily why like it's not easy but it's doable and if you don't have the political acumen, the political pull, the money, the want to spend the money, the leverage, the connections, the relationships, then you shouldn't be an NHL owner. And all of this goes back to the NHL in the first place, but this feels like it's it. And uh, it looks like they're going to have to lean on Salt Lake City and they're not going to get a massive expansion fee like they wanted from them. And at that point, it's you're taking the lesser of two evils if you're the NHL. Well, let's be honest. You know what's going to happen here. The Coyotes' ownership is going to strong-arm the NHL into massively overpaying for the Coyotes. 
And then the NHL is going to take that, mark it up 10% and sell it to Ryan Smith in Utah. So, And none of this is formalized. Like this is just, it feels like writing on the wall. This could all change. It could all change tomorrow. But from every indication that we've had, that what's publicly available from folks that I've talked to, like it, it, even the most hopeful of people, they seem, it seems very, very bleak right now. Uh, and when you have, I think what was Friedman's quote, I think we're coming to the end of the line with this ownership group and Strickland is talking about the NHL uh, potentially buying the team. That's an option in play. That stuff doesn't make it out there unless it's actually on the table. So we might be getting the NHL's you know newest franchise or the newest city, but it might not be through an expansion franchise. <sighs> I'm going to sound like Brad here, but I'm just excited for this one to be over one way or another. Like it's this is it's such a bad bad look for the league. We've been talking about this for like half of the podcast's existence. Feel yeah, feels like more. By the way, we are under a week away from nine years. That is craziness. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, that's the Coyotes. Coyotes fans, I'm sorry, it sucks. The Edmonton Oilers. Fell short. 16-game win streak stops right there. They lose to the Vegas Golden Knights. They stop short of the Penguins' record of 17 consecutive regular season wins. Connor McDavid almost got it done. Right off the season, it's over. Uh, If you were on uh, Canadian hockey Twitter last night, yeah, you'd swear the Oilers uh, just went from a 16-game winning streak to a 16-game losing streak. But Didn't they do that earlier this year? (laughs) Pretty pretty (laughs) close to it. But the only real downside of this all is that the Penguins still get to maintain one record. I know. I got, I, it was upsetting as a Red Wings fan when the Penguins did the back-to-back cup thing. I was like, I, I liked when Detroit was the last team to do it. So that sucked. But Edmonton, they're still, uh, they have four games in hand, but you know, there's still 14 points back of the Canucks. That is crazy. Because <laughs> the Canucks have been on an absolute heater lately as well. You mean all season? They are 8-0-2 eight, eight, oh, in their last 10. What what was the one stat that was making its rounds on Twitter yesterday? The Canucks are first in goals scored off the rush, but 32nd in the league in generating chances off the rush. They are on a mission this year to absolutely defeat PDO. <laughs> they, they forget the Stanley Cup. That's a foregone conclusion. Forget the playoffs. They've got that unlocked. This is... We are going to defeat analytics themselves. All the power to them. Oh, they, I love it. They've proven me wrong this year. I've said there's no way they're going to sustain this. They're going to come down at some point. And the only way I'll end up being right is if they don't win any one of their last 32 games. <laughs> they're sitting at 73 points. A 730 points percentage is absolutely nuts for the Vancouver Canucks in terms of what expectations were. But they've got the star center, they've got the star defenseman, and they've got the star goalie. We always talk about the teams who have the foundations at the three key positions and you go look at the top of the league and you can literally circle them all in the same box in the same area of the standings. What do you make of the Oilers and who they are as a team now like to to try to actually be competitive for the cup? Because you can't discount what Vancouver has done. I don't know what they're going to do in the playoffs, but they're, like it or not, they're a contender. Vegas is going to be contender to defend. Dallas and Colorado, obviously. Winnipeg is doing incredible things this season. Edmonton, no matter what they do, isn't going to have an easy path. And are they a serious cup contender? Is Skinner going to be able to hold it together come playoffs? Is this a year or is this just another flash in the pan during regular season? 
Well, when you look at the Oilers as a team, they have two things going for them right now that not every team that you listed has going for them. One, all their underlying numbers or most of them say this isn't a fluke. They are this team. The beginning of the year was the aberration. As long as they can get a save, they're a really, really good team. And everything we've seen shows that, you know, the analytics, the eye test, whatever you want to use. Yeah, they're good. And two, they have a Connor McDavid. I know it's such a lazy point to make, but he's the best player on the planet. He's the most skilled and talented player the NHL has ever seen. So anytime you have him on the ice, you have a chance. And since they made the coaching change, their defensive metrics have been strong. That's probably the biggest reason why Stuart Skinner went from one of the statistically the worst goalies in the league to one of the best over the last two to three months. Everything they're doing right now, I mean, they're not going to win 16 straight games again, but how they're winning feels sustainable. You know, your goalie can be good when you're not hemorrhaging high danger chances. You're going to score a lot of goals when your team's led by Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. In a seven-game series against Dallas, Colorado, a healthy Vegas, yeah, it's a coin flip. It's how hockey is. You know, you can throw all the details you want out there, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. One bounce here, one bad shift there. It changes the whole season. But there's no reason to think Edmonton shouldn't be right there standing with all the other ones. You know, Vancouver's PDO be damned. But yeah, it 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 seems like this is just who they are. Dallas, Colorado, and Winnipeg. Two of those teams are going to be playing each other in the first round. That's the West. nuts. That, Unless I, something changes like that, it's insane to me. What? And all three of those teams are going to be loading up at the trade deadline thinking that they are legit, which they are. They're legit contenders who have a legitimate chance to win the Stanley Cup, and one will be out after the first round. And the most likely first-round matchup in the Pacific is going to be Vegas-Edmonton. That's hysterical, man. Like, there's a reality where the first round is Dallas-Colorado-Vegas-Edmonton. It's nuts. That's, That's just... It shouldn't be that way. This is the argument against this playoff format. From an entertainment value, it's going to be a great first round, but these are the series we want in the second and third rounds. That's, not... And that's the problem is, you know, you you have too much excitement in the first round. Everybody loves the first round of the playoffs anyway, but it's for the casual fans, it's the second, the third, the fourth rounds. If you don't have those, like, the Red Wings or Colorado coming through the standings just going through these series and and everyone's waiting for these two powerhouses to meet each other when the stakes are high, to me, it's not as entertaining. Yeah, I think we've made our our opinions on this. Like, we all three of us have some kind of opinion of get rid of the bracket format, go back to one versus eight seeding or something related to that. I know there's people against it. I don't know what the Western, like, I haven't looked at what the Western matchups would be. It could be very similar even just based on how things would shake out. But yeah, I'm a big fan of, in terms of the actual sporting play, the best teams move on. An argument against it is they're less banged up in the first round, so you get a little bit more of a best on best and you mm-hmm. never know what will happen. But I don't know. I just, I always like how it was like when we were growing up of the one first eight, you reseed, you always play the lowest seed left. Everybody always talks about, will a 16th seed beat the number one seed? And it's a huge story when it does. I think the NHL could certainly, although 
the discrepancy between a 16 and a 1 is not quite the same as a 1 and an 8 in the NHL, but it's uh, always an interesting storyline when the quote-unquote 8 seed upsets you'd the still number get, 1. You'd still get Vegas, Winnipeg. You'd get Colorado, uh, Edmonton. Matchups would be like nuts no matter what. Anyways. I want to do an, a thought experiment. You know how we talked about how the top teams in, let's say the top four teams in each conference could pick who they'd want to play in the first round. Who would the Atlanta, uh, the Eastern Conference top four pick? So that's Boston, Florida, New York, Carolina. So Boston's picking first? Yes. Detroit. Uh, I think they might go Philly. Of all the playoff teams right now? Yeah, the Detroit is better goaltending. Yeah, that's fair. Philly could be in the conversation, but if I'm the Bruins, I'd have way more fun trying to stick it to a divisional opponent. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. Like, like that's where ownership might step in and go, we're going to make more money off of Boston Red Wings series. That is a fantastic There's point. so oh, many. They, wouldn't make, they would make a lot of money off Boston Philly, though. Yeah, they would, but if you have a close decision skill-wise which I, or talent-wise, which I think Detroit and Philly would fall in the same bucket— Tie goes to where you're going to make more money. And in this scenario, it would be Boston-Detroit. Would Boston take Toronto? That would be the funniest (laughs) thing in the world. (laughs) And that's there's all this drama around it, right? Like, you pick the team you want to play because you think you have the best opportunity to advance. And Boston takes Toronto? (laughs) Come on. I would respect the hell out of it if they did. What if you can, this is getting too crazy, but what if you could do, instead of, you have a choice of either picking your own matchup or picking a matchup for a lower seed than you. Yeah, like if it's a bracket, you kind of do the math and the the proactively look at who you could play in for the rounds and you try and game it that way. Yeah, you're, if you're Boston, you're like, all right, uh, New York, you're playing Florida or something like that. This is getting insane. This is the kind of batshit idea that gets us yelled at. Anyways. All right, uh, one other piece of news. The PWHL is doing a good job of showcasing their league and they're not just playing in the cities that actually have PWHL franchises because on March 16th, they're coming to Detroit. The uh, PWHL, Ottawa, and Boston teams, I refuse to use the names until they figure all that out, but uh, Ottawa and Boston are going to be playing in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena on March 16th. You guys know we hope that this is a precursor to Detroit eventually having a PWHL franchise. More pro hockey in Detroit is better. Uh, and I would love to see a women's professional team in Detroit. But if you're able to make it, that's going to be a lot of fun to see. If you want a PWHL team in Detroit, you got to pack this barn. Yeah. You have to. And obviously I'm fired up. You know, Boston's the team I've been rooting for in the PWHL all year for obvious reasons for anybody who's been listening for a while. Our friend Lauren Gable is on that yep. team. Yeah. Gibby messaged me the second she found out. <laughs> she was so fired up about it. So I was joking with her all summer. If uh, Detroit got a PWHL team, you damn well better sign with them. That's right. And obviously she played for Boston before in the PHF, so she was going to go back to Boston no matter what. But she was pretty fired up when she saw she was playing a game in Detroit. So we got we to gotta show up for them. Yeah, that's very cool. Okay, uh, let's jump into overtime here on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. if you want to support the show. It allows us to host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and the Grand Rapids Griffins. It allows us to continue to produce and and make the show bigger and better and also produce uh, shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. 
You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We give away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you are also uh, eligible to access all of our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus content. We record a little mini-episode after each main one, and they're they're a blast. So again, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. All right, let's get back to a hockey question here. This one from... The Mexanadian says, in your opinion, who has the worst contract in the league? My choice would be Huberto. Oh, man, it's hard hard to argue against Huberto right now. Not that he's the worst player on a bad contract, but, man, there's still seven years left at $10.5 million. Yeah, it's rough. For a, basically a half a point per game player. I'm going to give a different answer here, and I'm going to give it to a collective St. Louis's top four defensemen. Yeah, Colton Pareko, like that whole... Nick Letty, Justin Falk, Tori Krug, they are all in steep decline. They are all in their 30s, and all of them have lots of dollars and lots of term left. I think at varying points, he makes up for some of the probably too aggressive claims against him, but I think Darnell Nurse's $9.3 million AAV is, is too high. I will also contend, it's not really talked about, but Mark Edward Vlasic, he is just a shell of the player that he used to be for San Jose. Like, yeah. he used to be like an everyday effective guy, and it's apparently just really fallen away there. Bad Somebody contracts. on the Islanders has to be on this list too. I just don't have cap friendly up. I was going to make the joke, just throw a dart at the Islanders cap friendly page. I don't know, but with the Sharks one, and the whole reason I don't bring up Seth Jones is... Seth Jones is going to be the top answer. Yeah, if you're just starting a rebuild, like it does, those bad contracts don't affect you as much. Like, yeah, Vlasic sucks for San Jose right now, but by the time they're relative again, he'll be off their books. So it's not a huge hindrance. But can you tell we've been covering the Red Wings for nine years? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> we have extensive knowledge <laughs> in anchor contracts. <laughs> Listening to Ryan Hannon in the shower says, how many more NHL games this season do you think Edvinson will get and how soon before Johansson is an NHLer? Look, if you asked me, I would have thought that there's no way we went past the first month of the season and then the end of 2023, and now we're going to be on the other side of the All-Star break. So I would like to say he's going to play a good chunk of the rest of the season, but I just don't see the avenue forward, and I don't see the league or the team, sorry, changing their perspective on him disagree though i do like yeah do i think it's gonna happen no do i see the avenue yes very clearly and easily i just don't think they're gonna take it it's very i don't know that's that's the one to me where it's like i understand it's not the end of the world and it's not anything to you know light a pitchfork about or anything like that but i still don't the justification is the same as it was in october so it's hard for me to say oh yeah he'll be up for sure if it was up to me he'd be up already yeah yeah, didn't play in the AHL All Star game. By the way, he was just uh, main. Basically, he's been doing some injury maintenance. So for him, it's like, yeah, you can play through it, but there, what's the point of risking it for a game? So. Sore knuckles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too busy beating up on Angus Crookshank. We had a we had a good reel about that. You know, TikTok. Was a guy in the gangs of New York? Like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you ha- you have to be in an episode of Peaky Blinders after this. Can no you? Kidding? Uh, My God. TikTok took down the reel. The, or the, the the clip we had of the Edvinson fight. It was an awesome clip, and they took it down for violent content. Oh, like, oh my. I'm, no, I'm not going there. I'm not, I, will, I will not do it right now. <laughs> uh, this is a good question here, and it is from Give Walman the Heart. They say, is Alex Lyon a top five Vesna contender? 
If you if he stares at you long enough, yes. Yeah, that's right. You can convince anyone with that stare. If he plays the majority of the remaining games, translation, he's not splitting them with Huso. He maintains this pace and the Red Wings get in the playoffs. I think he'll get some consideration. Not to win or be a finalist, but he'll he'll get on the ballot. Like, you know, there's there's goaltenders like Aiden Hill who have a 938. Laurent Brassois, who have a 926, but they've played 18 and 12 games respectively. Alex Lyon has 21 games played. Swayman will be up there. Hellebuck will be up there, of course. Ottinger's he, bound to get some votes, too. He, he'll have competition, but yeah, if he is, if the Red Wings make the playoffs and he is playing the majority of the rest of the games, then he'll, he'll get votes for sure. There's no way he doesn't get a few third place votes or something. It's a good question, though. And last one here from Steve Fresh Cheesebag says, Brad, I love you, but you know that Stevie isn't going to stand pat at the trade deadline. He's not going to mortgage any valuable futures on pure rentals, and he's not going to sell the farm, but there is the possibility of trading a mid to late round pick for a 13th forward. Maybe finding a taker for Reimer and getting a depth piece in return. There are rumors about the brass being interested in players with term. So maybe, man, I love poking the bear. Joseph, so do we. But yeah, the, the point is that even if it's not a big move, there could be a move. Well, yeah, and I've understood that the whole time. And I think I've even said a fourth round picker later at this point in the rebuild, I genuinely don't care. Do whatever the hell you want with them. My argument is, what's a fourth round pick going to get you? It's not going to be anything better than what is already playing on the Red Wings fourth line. And it could just be like injuries could dictate that. Like if they're shoring up a line or Christian Fisher goes down and, you know, so does... Costin and they just need some muscle, for example. It could be something like that. Unless Pandora's box opens and they sell someone big because they're getting an insane price and they can get someone with Termer. You never know. I don't know. The prices on this trade deadline have been crazy, though, so far. And we're not even at the deadline yet. It's very, very scary. I, I don't really want Detroit to be in that fray unless they're selling someone for way more than they should be able to. Other teams' fan bases are already trying to pick off Sprong for like a depth pick or something like that. Not not in this market. Brother, let me tell you, I don't care about another fourth-round pick. I'd rather have Daniel Sprong for 30 more games. Me too. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. We're going to be back with you on Sunday, at which point there's going to be more hockey to talk about as the Red Wings return. They're going to play a game against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, until then, we'd like to thank you all so much for tuning in. I'd like to thank all of our listeners, new and old, uh, and all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, and if you can't support on Patreon, other ways you can support the show, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, etc. cetera. Uh, additionally, tell a friend. Uh, and to all of our name-level supporters on Patreon, we couldn't do it without you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Bring Dogs on the Show. Uh, Tully's been a bad boy. He is not coming up here right now. <laughs> a little escape artist. Carl Brutinen and Aluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Eric Shun, God Creatives, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, I'm Ryan Hanna, Jake Hollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, 
Marlon Winchester, Matt K. Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciates About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Derek James, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Can't wait for more Red News Hockey. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.